The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Greetings, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me today. We do have a lot to talk about. That is for sure. The Mueller report was released earlier today. And of course, before we got the Mueller report, we listened to a press conference from Bill Barr, the attorney general of the United States. Of course, a Trump appointee got his take on what this report said. And then, of course, we got the report itself which calls into question some of the things that Mr. Barr had to say about this report and certainly calls into question the notion of whether or not all of the reporting that has been done over the past couple of years on this issue about Russian interference and the investigation is indeed fake news, as the president has concluded all along. What Mr. Mueller suggests is that it indeed is not fake news. There is a ton of information in this report, and we're just starting to dig into it. I'll give you some initial thoughts on this in a somewhat shortened version of the program today because I've still got some more reading to do. Anyway, stick around. This is The Craig Folly Show. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey, thanks for checking out the show today. I really do appreciate it very much. And, and of course, everybody's been glued to the TV. And if, and if you haven't been, maybe you've been at work. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion, of course, about the Mueller report. We've been waiting for this redacted version of this report to come out for a long time. Uh, and there's been tons of speculation as to what exactly might be in there. And it, of course, started with the Barr memo that came out a few weeks ago where he said there was no uh, obstruction of justice and there was no collusion. Well, the actual report shows something quite a bit different than that. And it also shows that, that the Mueller team really wrestled with whether or not there was the possibility of making a charge of obstruction of justice. This is something that they really weighed on. And the report also gives incredible detail about the extent of the communications between members of Trump's inner circle and, of course, the Russians and people involved with the Trump campaign and Russians and how the two organizations played off each other but didn't necessarily conspire with each other directly to get the desired result which Mr. Mueller spells out, that the Russians wanted Donald Trump to win the election. Lots of footsie being played and lots of dependence on each other for information, but not necessarily collusion, but collusion isn't necessarily a crime under the law, but no evidence of conspiracy, so nothing they could charge anybody with. However, however, it is important to point out that there was a lot of contact, and it's laid out in here a lot more than people maybe realize, and some of it, some of it unknown until this report was released. But anyway, let's begin with how this day started. The day started at 9.30 with a press conference by Bill Barr, the Attorney General of the United States, in which he came out and basically restated his four-page memo, suggesting that there were not going to be any charges, there was no obstruction of justice, they declined to bring charges on that, and of course there was no conspiracy. But he used the word collusion several times, and again, collusion was not what Mueller was looking at, he was looking at the issue of whether or not anybody conspired with the Russian government to throw the election or to influence the election. Now, this report outlines 
a ton of efforts on the part of the Russians to influence the election and their motivations for doing so. It also fleshes out in great detail the amount of contacts, again, that there were between people that were involved in the Trump campaign and people who were connected to the Russian government. But again, no smoking gun, per se, but a lot of smoke, just not the gun. These are things that I think you should read on your own. You may disagree with my analysis of this. You may suggest that my interpretation of this is wrong, but I think you should read it because regardless of whether or not there's a criminal conspiracy, one of the things I talked about two days ago on this program about this report is whether or not this administration used good judgment. And there are several, several sections in this report that suggest that good judgment was not shown and most of it was on behalf of the President of the United States. So Barr comes out this morning, has this press conference, talks about how there's no problem here, and basically laid out a defense for the president, which was really shocking to me. Now, one of the things that Barr said was that they had some disagreements on legal philosophy uh, with, with Bob Mueller when it came to the question of obstruction of justice and what warrants obstruction of justice. Now, he didn't really elaborate on what those were, what those differences were. But he just said, well, we had some philosophical differences on that. I disagreed with his obstruction theories. We don't know exactly what that means. But the interesting thing that Barr did this morning that I was most troubled by was basically give him a rationale for acting the way that he did in terms of threatening to fire the special counsel, in terms of threatening his attorney general, Jeff Sessions at the time, and threatening to fire him and firing James Comey from the FBI and all of these other actions that in many cases would actually constitute an obstruction of justice charge, suggesting that, you know, hey, he was emotional over the fact that his presidency could potentially be derailed and threatened by this investigation. That is not something that should be taken into consideration here. Obstructing justice because you're upset or that your reputation might be damaged is not a good enough reason to do some of the stuff that is alleged in this report. So, so here's what he had to say on this one. And, and I think this quote is really important. Quote, President Trump faced an unprecedented situation as he entered into office and sought to perform his responsibilities as president. Federal agents and prosecutors were scrutinizing his conduct before and after taking office and the conduct of some of his associates. At the same time, there was relentless speculation in the news media about the president's personal culpability. Well, yeah, there was, because there were a ton of reports out there about meetings and stuff that was taking place and whether or not, you know, his claims that indeed he had no relationships with Russia were basically lies. And did he tell people to obfuscate the truth about the nature of his meetings with Russia when it came to the Trump Tower Moscow? And were they so concerned about the fact that the messaging might get confused that they ordered other people to not tell the truth? That's what Cohen's testimony said. That's what it suggests right in this report. And it also suggests that the contents of the Trump Tower meeting, that there were a number of communications that were basically deleted or perhaps encrypted via WhatsApp, things like that, that prevented them from doing a thorough investigation. And of course, the president didn't testify either. So when Bill Barr says that they totally cooperated, they fully cooperated with the investigation, how can you argue that when you have a number of instances where people that were testifying were lying and caught lying and pled guilty to lying? Full cooperation to me suggests that the president would testify in this type of a situation. But of course, he doesn't have to. And there was no way to compel it. The, the Mueller team says that they thought that they had the legal right to subpoena the president to have him appear, but they declined to do so because they knew it would delay the results of this investigation. And they weren't positive they were going to get anything. 
And remember, Rudy Giuliani back at the time complaining that any orders to force the president to testify would amount to nothing more than a perjury trap, which meant that they were concerned that he was not going to be able to tell the truth about what happened. They also mentioned that there were dozens of occasions in which the president said, I don't remember, I don't recall, I don't know, in his written answers. So there are a lot of unanswered questions here. So Bill Barr's press conference this morning in which he basically gave the president an excuse for his behavior and then suggested that there's nothing to see here is far, far from accurate. So when you actually start digging into the report and you start looking at some of the things that they did find, it's, again, there's some scummy stuff in here. And it may not rise to a level of criminal problems, but it's scummy stuff. I want to get into a couple of things that are in here that I particularly am troubled by and I think anybody else should be as well. First thing, let's talk about the Trump Tower meeting. Now, the Mueller investigation concluded, concluded that the president was seeking to prevent any of his subordinates from giving any accurate information about that meeting that took place back in June of 2016 at Trump Tower. The president's son was there, some close advisors, and again, there was an attorney that claimed to possess damaging information about the Clinton campaign and Hillary Clinton. And here's what the report says. On at least three occasions in late June and early July of 2017, as the story was surfacing publicly in the press, Trump directed spokeswoman Hope Hicks and others, quote, not to publicly disclose information about that meeting. And again, there are emails from Hope Hicks to Donald Trump saying, quote, the emails setting up the June 9th meetings were really bad and the story would be massive. That's one thing. This is another thing that's troubling to me. And again, this is uh, in relation to foreign policy. This is in relation to what was going on with the Russians and some of the Russians' motivations for getting Donald Trump into office over Hillary Clinton. And this is, this is important stuff because, again, the Russians, according to Mueller, had a very vested interest in Donald Trump winning this election. According to the report, Eric Prince, again, he is a Trump campaign supporter. He is the brother of Betsy DeVos. And again, he's been very involved in conservative politics for a long time, close to Steve Bannon. There was an overture from a person named Kirill Dmitriev. He's the CEO of the Russian Sovereign Wealth Fund. He's very, very close to Vladimir Putin. Very close. They wanted to make contact with the incoming administration to talk about things like ways for the U.S. and Russia to improve their relationship. And what do they mean by improve the relationship? One of the things that they have wanted to do for a long time is the removal of the Magnitsky Act and some of the sanctions against the Russian oligarchs in particular. So the people involved in the Russian Sovereign Wealth Fund have a distinct interest in making sure that their people and their dollars are not frozen. Their assets are not frozen in U.S. banks or any other banks as a result of the Magnitsky Act which has punished a number of Russian oligarchs and the businesses that they're involved in and the Russian government because of human rights violations that have taken place and some of their aggressive action in places like Ukraine and Crimea. They were looking for a backdoor way. And there are emails, according to Mueller, that suggest that that's what this was, a backdoor way to come up with new policy from Russia. Another meeting, Konstantin Kalimnik. The FBI suggests that this guy has links, of course, uh, to Russia and the Russian government and Russian intelligence. He met with Paul Manafort. And again, this was an attempt to come up with a way for the U.S. to agree to the Russian plan to control part of eastern Ukraine. They said it was a backdoor attempt to get that plan through. And according to the special counsel, Manafort and Kalimnik both believed that it would require President Trump to win for that plan to be considered realistic in any way because the Obama administration had been opposed to anything like this and it was apparent that Hillary Clinton would have been too. Russian involvement in Ukraine has been a sore spot in the United States for a long time. 
So they were negotiating behind closed doors to talk about plans before they were elected, about what they could do to cement that relationship, fix that relationship, make it more advantageous to Russia, and that would require the Russians, well, that would require President Trump to actually win the election. They also point out in this report that, again, Manafort shared the polling data with Kalimnik and continued to share polling data as it related to winning the election in the Midwest. And then that all ties into some of the social media activity that was taking place and who was targeted for those social media messages and where they were targeting. This report suggests that a lot of this stuff happened. And that's just a taste of some of the, some of the Russian connections that were, that were alluded to in this report and Russia's involvement and what their motivations were for getting involved in the U.S. elections. They clearly had a vested interest in having Donald Trump win that election. And, of course, a number of people have been indicted over that sort of stuff. But the other thing that they looked at was the question of obstruction of justice. And while we had Bill Barr in his press conference say, you know, there's no evidence to suggest that there was a – or there's no chargeable offense on obstruction of justice, there's something really important that Mr. Mueller said in his report. Quote, the evidence we obtained about the president's actions and intent presents difficult issues that would need to be resolved if we were making a traditional prosecutorial judgment. At the same time, if we had confidence after a thorough investigation of the facts that the president clearly did not commit obstruction of justice, we would so state. Based on the facts and the applicable legal standards, we are unable to reach that judgment. So do you remember that line the other day that says it did not accuse him of a crime, but it did not exonerate him? That's exactly what they mean. There were questions that they had internally as to whether or not they could bring charges against this president on this, on this obstruction question. But they cannot state that he did not do anything wrong. They don't feel that way. They think he did do some things that were wrong. And regardless of what the motivation was, if the intent wasn't there on the part of the president to actually obstruct justice, well, maybe there's not an underlying crime. But again, obstruction of justice doesn't require an underlying crime. There clearly were some questions as to whether or not these were charges that they were going to be able to prove and bring. But one of the things they point out is the lack of cooperation that they've gotten and the number of people who lied to them throughout the questioning and the number of people who deleted messages or encrypted their messages so they couldn't be recovered. There were things that led to this, not to mention the president's attempts to eliminate the special counsel, asking Don McGahn to do that. Don McGahn refused to do that, telling people to fire Jeff Sessions. Again, his staff refusing to do that at the time. There were a number of actions that this president took that could have been deemed obstruction of justice. And again, the Mueller report is very, very careful to say, hey, look, we didn't say that there's a, a definite crime here, but we certainly aren't going to say that there wasn't one. And my favorite part, perhaps, of this whole thing is that the report suggests that President Trump probably would have committed a crime or have been guilty of a crime had his staffers not had the smarts to not carry out his orders. That in itself is remarkable. The intent of the president. So when you have Bill Barr suggesting that the president was emotional and overwhelmed and, and, and uh, thought that his presidency was going to be derailed by this investigation and, and therefore, you know, he might not have been of sound mind and body on this. Is that what he's trying to argue? The president's staff saved him from breaking the law, according to Bob Mueller. That in itself is remarkable. That's exactly what we've been talking about with this presidency, this, this level of impulse this proclivity to speak without thinking, this proclivity to act without thinking, to just go off half-cocked. Fortunately for him, he has some people that understood ethics and understood the law and recognized that if they did these things, they might be violating either their moral principles or the law. 
Morality be damned. There's no evidence of morality here. But again, Mueller made it abundantly clear. Russia wanted to help the Trump campaign, and the Trump campaign was willing to take that help. They just didn't have the direct connection to put those pieces together. The Mueller team says, We did not establish that the Trump campaign coordinated with the Russian government in selection interference activities. However, the two parties taking actions that were informed by or responsive to the other's actions or interests. So they were watching each other, playing off of each other, taking each other's cues, just not conspiring directly. Or at least they don't have evidence of that. But certainly there was a lot of obfuscation throughout this investigation. As the Mueller report makes clear, they were dissatisfied with some of the responses they got from people. They were dissatisfied with the fact that there were a number of people that couldn't remember or that they just basically had deleted some of their materials. So the truth about this is very, very murky. There is no total exoneration here. That's not what happened here. There are a lot of questions that now this is just going to be kicked down the road a little bit. Don't think the Democrats aren't for a second going to get Bob Mueller in there to flesh out a little bit more what he thinks here and push for the unredacted sections. Because keep in mind, there are 12 investigations that were referred to other people, all of them redacted in this report. 12 other investigations that have been sent off to other jurisdictions. So this is far from over. And it certainly is far from the total exoneration that the president is suggesting and his supporters are suggesting today. But I was willing to accept the report, what it found, and I'm willing to accept the fact that there may not be anything that they could criminally charge the president with at this point in time. I wasn't expecting the president to be charged. I wasn't expecting that to happen. But at the same time, just about every story that's been written about this president and contacts with the Russians and discussions that were had and attempts to fire certain people and him going off half-cocked, those things are all real. And the Mueller report dug into that stuff, and they have testimony from a bunch of people. So all the discussions about fake news are just that. They're fake. This stuff happened. This is your president. This is who he is. You may like this president. You may like the way he is. You may think it's great. I, for one think that this stuff is very, very borderline, and Bob Mueller thinks so too. When you make a statement that says, we cannot conclude that he didn't do something wrong. If we could, we'd tell you so, but we can't. Well, after two years of investigation and all the different interviews that they did, they found a lot of stuff that gave them very, very serious concerns and should give us all something to consider. Something to consider as we vote in the next election cycle. Don't think that this is going away or that he has won here. The only thing he won was the opportunity to not go through a trial at this point in time, at least on criminal charges. That doesn't mean the House is done. I have a feeling this is going to keep going for a while. But I'm going to read through this entire report and find out some things and read it all because I've been going through it this morning. I'm about 50 pages in and read all the summaries at this point in time. There's a lot of stuff in here that just makes you shake your head because it just wasn't good judgment. And that's what I've been saying all along. Does this guy exercise good judgment? And I think the conclusion that we can make based on what we have seen so far from the Mueller report, the answer is no. The judgment is cloudy at best, nefarious at worst. But the president can say one thing. Well, hey, at least it's not criminal. Well, if that's the standard that we're living under now, well, he didn't commit a crime. So, yeah, I expect more from the president. I certainly do. 
Thanks for listening today. Uh, I'll be reading more of this, and I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about. We'll see you soon. Hey there, my name is Seth Ressler. Hi everyone, it's Becky Scarcello. I am new to the Detroit area. And I've been here my whole life. So we started a podcast together. It's called The D. Brief. Detroit's arts and entertainment podcast. We cover concerts, comedy, plays, food, drink, all kinds of stuff. All the cool events around town, things to do, and the people that are doing them. Can we talk about some of the people we've had as guests on this podcast? Hey, this is Mark Kurlianchik, the restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press. Hi, I'm Andy Lisi, and I host Essential Music on 1019 WDET. Hi, this is Mark Ridley of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Hey, this is Kate Williams, executive chef of Lady of the House. Hey, this is Meltdown from WRAF in Detroit. This is Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. This is Carmen Hart. Curator of film at the Detroit Institute of Arts. President and founder of Valentine Distilling Company. The general manager of innovation experiences for the Henry Ford. Arts and entertainment editor at the Detroit Free Press. The Michigan Science Center. Arts Beats and If you like going out in the city of Detroit, you're going to like this podcast. The Debrief Podcast. We like to say Detroit's moving. Keep up. The Debrief. Your guide to Detroit's arts and entertainment scene.